Intentionally Grounded. I'm your host, Brian Willie, along with my co-host, John Kessler. Episode 64 features the offensive line coach for the University of Buffalo, Scott Fuchs. Coach discusses his A-gap power scheme that has been the hallmark of North Dakota State, Wyoming, and now Kansas State's running game. Coach also has you covered detailing the teaching points and running scheme for running A-gap power and adjusting it to combat modern defensive schematics and techniques. For video of this podcast, go to our Intentionally Grounded YouTube site for watch all diagrams and adjustments down by Coach Fuchs. This season, Intentionally Grounded is partnering with First Down Playbook. For coaches looking for a playbook software that is user-friendly and can deliver the clarity necessary to share and communicate your scheme with coaches and players alike, check out First Down Playbook. For more information, check out their website at firstdownplaybook.com. And for our listeners of our show, enter the code IGFB20 when purchasing individual or program memberships to receive a discount at checkout. Again, that code is IGFB20. Don't forget to check out our website at igfootballcoach.com for all our blog posts and podcast episodes. And check out our newly released YouTube channel that houses the video cast version of our podcast episodes as well, along with additional content related to leadership, football, and coaching development. Season 3, Episode 14, with Coach Scott Fuchs, starts now. Coach, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Hi, I'm Scott Fuchs. I am the offensive line coach at the University at Buffalo. Um, originally from North Dakota, uh, Minot, North Dakota. I played at North Dakota State University and coached at, uh, well, uh, kind of a long list of places I guess I coached at. But um, um, my first job was Valley City State University. Uh, I went to Eau Claire, Wisconsin. I was at the University of Minnesota Crookston. Uh, University of Nebraska, Omaha, Grand Valley State University, Southern Illinois, <laughs> and then uh, was up at North Dakota State and uh, Wyoming, and now I'm in Buffalo. So that's kind of a, a long list there. A couple of those schools actually don't have football anymore. <laughs> uh, Coach, since your time at NDSU, your offensive line play has been outstanding year in and year out. When you're recruiting offensive linemen, what are some of the things that you look for in a recruit and what are some of the areas that you really focus on in your development of them? Um, when, when we are looking at guys on film, just, uh, you know, purely on, on the physical part of things, you know, we're looking for athleticism first and foremost, guys that are athletes. Um, you know, my, my prototype guy would probably be, you know, that six, four to six, six kid is about 260 pounds that you can put the good weight on. Um, not just, not really looking for just giant size guys, but athleticism is the most important, you know, body control, change of direction, those things you can see on film. Uh, like to see them use their hands, you know, get some extension, play, uh, play long. Uh, can they bring their hips? I think some of those things that are hard to teach maybe uh, that if they can do it naturally, uh, you feel good about it. I, you know, in a lot of ways, I feel like blocking is natural. And if the kid looks like a natural blocker, a good athlete out there, um, you know, that's, that's what you're looking for off the film. Now, the things that I've been a little bit more interested in lately and in talking with some guys, whether they're, you know, NFL or, or college guys, uh, what are the, the things that you, you really don't know? You don't give them a test or anything and, and try to figure out how hard they work, how committed they are and those, those types of things. Uh, those have become um, very interesting, trying to find out how hard will this guy actually work? 
um, once he does get to college, how hard of a worker is he? Those things are hard to find out too. I mean, to be quite honest, uh, you just you kind of research as much as you can, dig into the kid a little bit with a, with a phone call and stuff like that. But, but that's the type of stuff that we would look for um, in recruiting. When it comes to developing guys, um, and I've kind of, I've kind of gone to this uh, more so the last year or two and talking with some people, but there's, there's really, in fact, I actually have it hanging up in my office here. Probably can kind of see it behind me, but um, there's five things really that I think incorporate five things that are fundamentals that I think need to be taught every day in every drill that we do. Okay. Um, stance and start, you know, for start, we just talk about angle of departure. Um, feet apart, wide base, uh, butt down, um, obviously playing low, so, so having your butt down, uh, hands inside or elbows tight, however you want to say that, those things, and then hat placement, you know, having my hat between the defender and the football. Those five things, uh, you know, for me, they've got to go into every drill that we do. So everything that we're doing, I, I, and I used to be a little bit more specific and, hey, we really want to work on this thing right here today. Well, to me, more so there's more fundamental work that has been going on lately. So teaching these guys fundamentals, having them be able to do these fundamentals, um, I don't want to say flawlessly, but naturally, um, and then incorporate that into whatever block, whatever we're trying to do. You know, the fundamental part of the game, uh, you know, over, I guess, 26 years now, um, kind of gotten back to that a little bit more and saying, how, how can we be great? We be great at the fundamentals and play very, very hard. So, now, Coach, the A-gap power play has been a scheme that's been very productive for you at a lot of your stops, especially since North Dakota State. So for our listeners who aren't very familiar with it, what's the big difference between your traditional C-gap power and the version of A-gap power you're most familiar with? Okay, so A-gap power is probably a little bit of a it's, it's exactly what it is. We, we kind of, I don't know if I, we coined that phrase, phrase or anything like that, but that's what they told me what we were running. It's going to hit in the A-gap. It's going to hit the play side A-gap or the back side A-gap, and everything else was just C-gap power. So traditionally, um, when I would teach power before I got to North Dakota State or talk about power and you'd see, you know, the running back kind of hit it and bounce it wide, and you'd see pullers kind of running and pulling around and, and uh, getting spills and, and not – you know, they're getting on people, but not necessarily saying this is where the play is going to go. For A-gap power for us, the, the idea was it's going to go on the play side A-gap or the back side A-gap. We have to make that happen some way, uh, somehow. So anything else that we did or any other version of it that took us a little bit wider where we said, okay, we know we're not necessarily going to try to force this in the A-gap. We're going we're to let this thing kind of play out whether it goes wider or not was going to be called C-gap power for us. So we got a little, I guess – um, kind of uppity about it and said, this is, this is what we're going to do. This is how powers really ran. Um, the, the whole idea though is in running a gap power and we'll, I, I know we'll get into this probably a little bit in a, in a minute here, but the idea was making linebackers misfit this play uh, and moving down linemen, which I think that probably works for a lot of different plays too. But um, for us, it was like, if, if there's nobody in the A-gap, if we can move the down guys, get them out of the A-gap somehow and, and insert the running back, insert the ball there, uh, we got a shot. You know, and linebackers are going to misfit it because they're going to have too big a hole to defend or um, 
they're just they're going to be running too far to thinking the play is going to bounce. All those things were going to happen, and that did happen quite a bit um, in in the course of running that play over ten years. So, um, you know, play side A gap to back side A gap. I, I you know I could even go further into it, but that's kind of how we looked at it. And I think when people look at the play, that's that's how they think of it now. Coach, and, and I think a lot of our listeners can relate because um, Brian and I are both high school coaches. Um, so a lot of our listeners are high school guys. When you talk about horizontal displacement and getting movement for the play side guard and the play side tackle, can that be difficult at times, especially if they're probably not as big as you want them, as strong as you want them, maybe inexperienced? And when you have that, what are some of the teaching points that you, you can give both the guard and the tackle to help execute that lateral down block? Okay. I'm going to go back and kind of talk about where this thing kind of originated. My, my first couple of years in North Dakota State, we were trying to take guys back vertically. And you move the three technique out. If you move the three technique out and create this big bubble there, it's a great play, whether it's A-gap power or C-gap power, you, you got all this movement. But it, it became harder and harder to get this vertical displacement out of a guy on a double team. And in talking with uh, Nick Gazers, actually the D-line coach, they're still – and talking to defensive linemen and asking them, okay, what's the hardest thing that, that we do uh, when we double team you? And we play around with this a little bit here or there after, it was in our second year actually, towards the end of the season. We said, just knocking the crap out of that guy laterally doesn't allow that guy to defend uh, his gap um, and sit in there. So um, that's kind of how it all started. And we said, well, we're just going to sell out on this. We're not going to worry. Well, we worry about the linebacker, but we're worried a lot more about the down guy and how we can displace that. Um, undersized guys and or less experienced guys, undersized, I don't know if that's as big a deal, but uh, the experience I think you do need. Um, for us, I'm going to jump on a board here just really quick to let you know what I'm talking about here. Perfect. Whether I'm running this at a three technique and trying to get this or running it at the guard bubble, um, you know, doing something along those lines. And to be honest with you, uh, anything, you know, even on the center where we're, you know, bringing that tackle down there. So, you know, play is hitting all these A-gaps here. But the three technique, the one thing we talked about here the most, and a lot of these three techniques kind of played it so that they wanted to zero out when you take that, that inside settle step uh, with, with the covered guy with the guard there. And, um, the three techniques that are going to kind of read the play or excuse me, read the defense, read the blocker, excuse me. And as soon as you take that step, they want to get to zero out because they're kind of worried about getting cut off on the backside anyway of a zone play or something like that. Try to use that to our advantage. We wanted that guard anyway, or we got to the point where we really want that guard to create a moment of strain for the three techniques. So that three technique felt like he was in there tied up straining with one guy. It wasn't a double team immediately. And I still kind of work, work my guys in this point saying, you know, widen out the split, try to create a, a moment in there. And I can't tell you how long it is. I mean, if it's a half a second, three quarters of a second, something there where that guy's really straining really hard where we can then hit the hip of the defender. Once, we, and once that three technique is in the moment of strain, if we strike the hip of the defender, he's going to get moving uh, for darn sure, okay? And for me, the biggest thing for teaching those guys the tackles is I don't want to hit it in, like the moment that ball snapped, they kind of both want to just come together like that. I want to create that strain and then hit the hip. 
you follow me there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't always happen, which is fine. Okay. I mean, it's part of football. I mean, if you can get that, I think those would be the best things that would happen. But what I really stress with the tackles for the most part is do not play on their shoulder pads. Do not touch the defender's shoulders. Okay. Anything up here, anything in the shoulder area is going to create that rotation. That defender can just kind of sit and rotate on himself and sit his hip down there. We always need to hit the hip. And I would stress that and exaggerate it. And you could say, well, maybe I'm just kind of hitting the soft side of the body as long as I'm not hitting the shoulders. And I'll go with that. But anytime you're hitting that center mass when that guy's in the moment of strain, that's what created the most movement for us. And that's really how we got to teaching that over and over again. Uh, a two technique, we would treat like a three technique or a two eye. You know, even this in this scenario, we talk about the tackle reinforcing this because we didn't want the guard to be by himself. So, uh, you know, we're just creating a moment of strain on, let's say, a two eye or a G right here. And then the tackle, these worked out pretty nicely too because really the, the strain would happen. This would be a little bit further for the tackle to go. And then he'd finally get there and he would hit that guy on the hip and, and he'd go flying. You get a lot of good movement off that guard bubble look. We would reinforce with a tackle on anything. So um, you would say anything from a what loose three technique on down to even a zero nose. If we had a zero nose, we would have the tackle reinforced. There would be some kind of double team. It wouldn't be just some sort of courtesy. I looked at it. It wasn't coming at me. I'm going to climb a linebacker. If we had to reinforce the back of the guard, let's say the guard cuts you off. You might see that in, in – you know, I'm working a scenario like this or like this where the guard actually cuts off the tackle. We tell the tackle just reinforce the back of the guard, you know, just get the whole thing moving uh, laterally that way. Just we wanted the lateral movement and however we could get it that way, that was how we saw as the best way to do it. The looser the three gets, okay, and this kind of goes into movement a little bit, but the looser the three got, we did not allow the guard. Let me kind of redraw what I'm talking about here. I got this guy and he's kind of sitting in the gap with me. I never allowed this guard to work, work back towards the B gap in this scenario because we always said there's something, you got to protect the A gap, you got to be, be protecting the A gap. Now this guy could play it this way, he could play it into me, he could do all those types of things, but I wasn't allowed to turn my shoulders back to that three because I'm always responsible for the play side A gap. Now, in doing that, you kind of stress out your tackles sometimes if you've got a guy that's playing it really loose that way. Um, but then, you know, if the guard couldn't be in the double team, and we gave him this as a way of, of knowing if my hip, if the right guard, if, if his hip can't be in front of the three techniques hip at any point in that block, he can't help the block out anymore. He's got to leave it in some way, shape, or form, either go to backer or shut down possible nose movement so if I can't if my hips not there the tackles kind of got to do it on his own all right so I'm gonna have you guys if you've got any questions on that but but that's kind of you know talking you through whether it was a three technique the two or the two eye or shade nose or anything like that how we're going to reinforce that and get that guy moving because I will tell you there was enough scenarios where we could not get that three moving laterally at all and then it came it came down to the polar actually fitting in there too well, I guess one question I have off the top is <clears throat> what's the communication like between your guard and tackle? How are they communicating the technique they're going to use to get that, that horizontal displacement? Okay, so I used to be along the lines – I used to do this. I used to do that. <laughs> but I used to be along the lines of, you know what, hey, we've got one double team on this play, and that's it. I, 
wherever this guy's at, wherever this down guy is in the A gap or B gap, that's where this double team's happening. Okay. So we don't really need to discuss that. Now we used to want to say, Hey, I got to lose three, you know, I got a two I, I've got a two technique. So they would say what they had in front of them, which then alerted the tackle and the guard. This is kind of how we're going to manage this guy at this point. Now for, for me nowadays, um, anything I could say to over communicate, I, I would do that. So, um, I, I guess if I was doing it right now at Buffalo, I would come into probably the same way I just explained it to you and say, okay, hey, the guys, I got a loose, I got a two eye. The guy is on me. I know what we're going to do with this two eye. I got a two technique. I want the tackle to know it's a two. Any two or two eye is possible movement back at the, at the tackle, just having all those things. So that's, those are the communication things on it. It wasn't a special like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set this guy up now. If he's a loose three, the tackle would know the guard may not be there that long, you know. And we were just – all we were really communicating was what defensive technique we had in front of us, you know. And then a follow-up question to that, um, too, is when, one of the things we've seen when we study the, you know, A-gap power play is that they talk about the tackle to generate that movement. They talk about a skate step. And so for, you know, coaches who aren't familiar with a skate step, what's that skate step all about? Okay, so I'm not going to be able to get up and actually show you my footwork, but I'm going to talk you through this. And, and uh, So this is where all this came from, like the bucket step, the open step. You say open a lot. You know, open was a way of saying that. And then I started thinking about guys that would take this open step and would can kind of continue to fall laterally, all right? And we were up in North Dakota and have some guys that did before had been ice skating, and, and I would tell them, okay, so you got blades – uh, you're wearing a set of blades, okay, and you're skating. You got to drive off one skate. You kind of got to drive the other skate into the ground uh, to kind of stop that lateral movement. There, we wanted them to feel like, hey, that um, I am kind of working within my framework all the time. So the skate, if I drew the feet of the tackle, and there's the feet of the guard, okay, and we'll say the three technique here. The skate was anything that would give us some depth and some width that would create this, I guess, line of force. Angle of departure is kind of what, what I would say now. The skate's going to create your angle of departure of where that uh, three techniques hip is or where that guy, his hip is, okay? I want to put myself on that angle. I don't want an angle that's going to be too flat, or, and I certainly don't want anything that's going to be too high here. So the skate is just creating that, that angle. That's all that's doing now. We would say skate stab all the time, and stab was just a way, and we really tried to reinforce this. I learned this early on. Uh, Paul Cornick was a guy um, who played for the, uh, the Broncos for a while. He was at NDSU when I got there, and he kind of understood what we were doing with the footwork. But he would, we, we would just wanted all this power coming off the right foot here when we go into it. So we would say skate for position and then stab for power. We didn't want this step getting in front of our hip. So – Keeping your feet behind your hips is going to ensure that you're moving forward toward contact, okay? And it, these are things that are easy to understand and know, but when I see a kid, you know, take a good skate step and then this one gets really long, we tell them, okay, when you put your foot in front of your hip, that's how you stop. That's how you stop running. That's how you stop walking. That's, that's stopping all this, this force that you're creating. So we wanted to keep the foot behind the hip all the time. Now, if that guy was really far away, you might work a couple stabs into it. It might be a, couple, a hitch into it or something like that. If the guy was right there as a three technique, we want to just skate stab right into that. So creating a line 
creating a line of force with our angle of departure off the skate. And that skate, again, we said skate, so we didn't continue to move that direction. We're just driving that into the ground and then stabbing this in the ground. And our stab, I would tell guys, our stab is probably pick it up, put it down. And in that, in, in saying that, I might get a guy who will stab it like two inches, maybe take a two-inch step or something like that. So this foot actually going backwards and lateral, and this one staying in the ground and going out kind of, I don't want to say it ensures that your feet are going to be behind your hips the whole time, but the, that's the idea. That's the, the thought process in trying to make sure that they're not taking these long steps to cover ground towards that block. They're taking these, these short steps. They're almost falling into that block, almost falling, and maybe they are, you know. Coach, now on the flip side, what are the teaching points for your puller? And then on top of that, we'll kind of go through just what happens when the D-line starts to slant and you don't get the movement, you know, so we're talking worst-case scenario, we don't get any movement. You know, we'll, we'll get into that, but, but when you start with your puller, where are we starting on day one? Okay. So I made this comment at the uh, Cool Clinic a um, few years back, and the idea here was we, we really did not – teach them anything crazy about the pole. We just wanted to get, get a little depth and shuffle over there, okay? Now, the one thing, if, if I'm pulling towards a screen right now, the one thing that I thought was nice, was good thought process is, when I'm pulling and I'm shuffling and I'm staying square, I'm gonna look right down my shoulder pad down the line of scrimmage, okay? So, while in the play, you might have it diagrammed up where you're going to block this linebacker in the play, but that's kind of misleading, to be quite honest. You're, you're, really fitting, uh, you're really fitting the play, so odds are pretty good that you're going to block that linebacker that you have it diagrammed up for, but it, it may not work out that way, so we were fitting it. So I was going to shuffle down the line, look down my shoulder, so I didn't open up my shoulders. I didn't want to open up and turn uh, – um, so I was perpendicular to the uh, line of scrimmage. I wanted to be square to line of scrimmage. And then I wanted enough depth so that I wasn't getting tripped by, let's say, the, center, the center's pin block back or any – even if the guard gave up some penetration, you know, I still wanted to be around that if that was the case and that guy was moving. So I had to have a little bit of depth in looking over the shoulder. Now, we looked for a couple things when I was looking over my shoulder. I'm looking down the line to say, okay, number one, does the fullback have this uh, defensive end managed? Does the tight end have this guy managed where he's blocking him? Or am I going to have to actually bump this guy and, ba and basically set the defensive end back on the fullback? Back on tight end. All that's happening, I got to bump that and continue to go, on, go north. Now, I don't, I don't want to jump around here, but I, I do want to go back and say, I did do a drill where I took a stand-up. I took a stand-up bag. And I, I put it over here and I put some, you know, another bag on the ground so we had to get around that. And I shuffled him down the line here. And all I did was uh, lean the bag in or lean the bag out and he had to like strike it and go north off the bag. The one thing you really want to teach a puller on this, you know, this is, this is all good stuff and staying square here. But realistically, when they turn that corner, they're going to see something they're going to want to, they're going to want to do this. And, and this is where we really wanted to, teach a guy not to do this. I wanted them to strike it north or even inside a little bit, but guys that do this the first time, they always want to drift. And this is definitely don't want to do that. So if we can stay square and stay inside. Now, this went back to saying you can never get spilled on the play. Okay. And we taught them what a spill player was and what a lever player was. And if your head's inside, whoever you're blocking, 
you know, and they go back to fundamentals, just, you know, hat, hat placement. If my head's inside, we're going to be in good shape. I'm going to find a way to get this where the, where the running back can take this ball into the A-gap. If my head is on the outside, they've obviously spilled me. They've, they've defended the A-gap, and now they're going to try and make that play a bounce to the outside. So we really wanted them to understand spill and lever at that point. All right. So, so that was critical. Now, a couple things. I was, I, was I setting that defensive end on the fullback again? Yes, go north. Do it and go north. Just We call it a double bump. I'm just a little bump there, and I go north. I want to make sure that that's cleaned up. If I didn't have to do that, I, the, the guys that did the best were kind of like feeling their way. They were looking down their shoulder, kind of feeling their way. Um, you know, as that lateral double team moved, then they would strike it north. We would strike it north and then work north to go inside. Now, the tackle, can I backtrack for a second for you guys? The, the tackle on all this reinforcement stuff, let's just say we've got um, a backer here and a backer here, okay? And let's say the double team's going back here to, to number two and this guy's number one. If these guys are running to fit this play like this, that was okay for us, and we would teach that guy to U-turn and, and get on that play any way he can after the movement. So the movement was always more important than coming off the backer. And I think when young guys do this, they're so worried about, I have the backer, I have the backer. Not really. Let's make the linebacker misfit. Let's have the down guy move because we, all, we, all, we saw a lot of this stuff where we moved this guy and we had to stay on it. And the puller came around here and this guy was out here doing nothing and we didn't get spilled by that guy and we, we hit the plan side of that. So the movement was so much more critical. Now, having that, that puller understand about not getting spilled, that does take reps. Okay, and I will say, I will say this. We found that the most, I won't say the most efficient, the best way to learn how to do this for that puller was a high volume of reps. Okay, now I had true freshmen come in at Wyoming and they learned how to do this. They were kind of natural at it. And I thought, okay, that's great. Uh, this kid understands what we're teaching. Um, but the more we ran the play, the better they did get at those things. And I thought reps were really good. Now, Staying square, striking it north, or going north off the line of scrimmage uh, uh, for the for the puller, those things are critical. And to the point even where if I had a, let's say I had a wide open area, I come around here, I got all this moved out. Let's say all that's moved out, my, my fullbacks kicked the end out, I got this huge space here. Even if my backer was going this way, I would still keep my shoulders square as I worked with that guy, I would never turn and go to block him out. I would want to be square all the way here because I know that guy would want to rally back inside. We're keeping, keeping that ball in the A gap. I felt the guys that did this the best really took, um, they took a hold of the idea that, hey, this play's going to be in the A gap. I know where the ball's going to be. I've got to make space there. They weren't kind of running off on their own based on what the defender was doing. They were just sticking true to what we taught them to do and said, okay, my head's got to be inside. I've got to stay square, and I'm going to make sure that there's space in, on the inside of me for this. So understanding that concept I thought was even more important than maybe the drills that you might do for it. And you kind of may have touched on this in passing a little bit beforehand, but if they were to get spilled or if there's – just it's cloudy in the a gap as the puller is coming around. What would you instruct that puller to do? You can't get spilled. Uh, cloudy in the a gap. 
<laughs> can't get filled, man. <laughs> uh, the idea, though, if it if it was cloudy in the A gap and we had to, let's say, we, we would tell them to skate around it, let's say, um, well, I got a couple things that could happen. And, and I was just talking to a, a guy about this um, uh, a couple weeks ago. And I said, I found that, let's say you're not great at the double team part of it. I said, if you have a center, if you've got a center that can stay square every time he's pinning back or blocking back, whatever you guys want to call it, it, it doesn't matter to me, when he can stay square and kind of dig out that backside A-gap guy a little bit, you're creating even more options that way. We had a, Obviously, we had a really good center at Wyoming. He's with the, uh, the Redskins right now. Uh, but we had a guy that could do that as well. So that even created more options there. Now, that gave us all these scenarios where – he got that done. I got over here. They weren't really moving this, but I inserted. You know, I had a space to insert, right? Okay. What am I going to do? You know, I don't have a – I got two backers in here. Do I keep going to this backer and say they're going to do this? I told them this. I said if the guard was stuck in here on this and you inserted and you know that you were inside the guard, I said just, hey, just go back to this backside backer and we'll just try to keep this guard. We'll see that he'll just keep moving this out and we'll create the egg out that way. So if we didn't get lateral movement, but we were stuck on that and whatever, however, we were still kind of moving that out a little bit. We could get around the center. We did that. If they tied up the play side A and the backside A and the three technique didn't move. I mean, I, I know I don't have to tell you, but the play is not good. You know, it, it you know, it got, it got jumbled up in there. So uh, that was good. I, I liked running it at the guard bubble because I liked reinforcing a two eye. I never thought a two eye was really taught all that well to play a double team from the play side. You just play that play that down block from the guard, and all of a sudden here comes a tackle double teaming you. The three technique was certainly taught how to play the double team a lot better. Um, but we saw a lot of scenarios that way, and, and we'll get into movement. I know that, but but, but I. Ideally here, I'm either I'm inserting here, I'm inserting around this stuff, wherever there is an insert and in, in how I feel it. Now, sometimes they were wrong, sometimes they were right. I always had the, you know, I had the remote. I was always right when we were watching the film. Um, but through the number of reps that they did over and over again, um, they did get pretty comfortable with it. If I had a guy uh, playing for me that, that started for three years, I think, when we were at Wyoming. And he did a fantastic job of just not getting spilled. I just, I can't get spilled. So no matter what, when he got up in there, he'd, be, he'd have his like back up in there and he'd turn his back just to keep guys out of the hole and understanding that. So they did a pretty good job with it. And to go along with that, what are some of the ways that you're seeing defenses try to stop the gap run plays that, you know, are you seeing a lot of bare front and whatever fronts you are seeing, what are some of the adjustments you make to the scheme? Okay. So, um, we, we got a lot of multiple front at Wyoming. We didn't get as much at um, North Dakota State. And I, I would say this, I, I believe it's a very good play for a four down front. Um, a bare front was, was not all that bad for us either. Um, anytime we, if we got stuck into something like this, you know, we were just bringing everybody back and pulling and, and fitting it just like we would normally fit anything. Because typically if a team gets into something like this, if they track the guard at all, the, the tackle is able to do that. If you have two linebackers behind a bare front, it, you're probably going to be short here. You can kind of see how your numbers are rolling here. Um, there's potential to get the backside tackle up. 
to the backside linebacker that way. Maybe you got two tights in here and you're just pulling for the play side guy. Um, we did a couple things here as well. And this stuff gets kind of dicey now where, you know, he was cutting that off and we were kind of sinking him through and still coming down with the guard. Um, I don't, I don't think you have to get that creative with it. I think if everybody goes down on a bare front, you can dig that out. If it was two A-gap defenders, it's kind of the same thing. We're still double teaming that play side A-gap defender and pinning the backside A-gap defender. Um, I will tell you, and, I, I, and, and you know, I'm, in, I'm, I'm at Buffalo now, so we're not running A-gap powers, so I've, I have no problem talking about this right now, okay? Well, I'm going to tell you what, what I did deal with and what I would say this is difficult for the play. Okay, so what we ended up seeing quite a bit, and a lot of people are doing this now anyway, okay, but they're giving you the odd front with the two four eyes. With me on that? So if I have this scenario, I have to start making some decisions as to how I'm going to manage this backer here because now is the tackle blocking the four eyes before I can even let him get over there? Is the guard going to be the climb guy here? What are we doing? How we, how we went about this, basically, and we did this out of 11 personnel quite a bit. Um, if it was 21 or 22 personnel, I'd probably keep everything on it. I'd do this, I'd do that, I'd bring the guard over, and I would just fit this. I would fit this, and my double bump on his block, or did they move, you know, stuff like that, and I would just fit this guy in there. Maybe he doesn't get blocked, maybe I'm going back for that still, okay, but I would just fit that. If I have 11 personnel, though, it's a whole other story. Um, in the fact that I'm not going to get all these guys blocked. So this ended up being a man scheme where he was manned up there. He was manned up on a backside. And I don't like this all that much, to be honest. But now this became my double team, and this became my pull. And I would fit this like I would fit, um, you know, a fullback kicking out a defensive end or something like that. This was not as good because the double team on the zero nose did not have the displacement that I wanted. You know, if we could have came down and just blasted this and not worried about this backer, I would have felt a lot better about it. But this right here, when you when you make it uh, a gap scheme become like a man scheme like this, I think that's that's getting a bit too far off the track for the, for that play to actually be what it's supposed to be at that point. You can block it like power. You can do all this stuff, but it's not going to be like a gap scheme anymore. It's going to have some man um, principles to it, and it's going to get all dicey when they start moving and doing stuff like that. Coach, in order to run this scheme effectively, do you have to have a fullback and an H-back to kick out that first defender outside the B-gap just to keep the track on pace so he doesn't get spilled and it stays tight? Or you, are there variations that you have? Can you run it out of a 10 personnel look? Okay, so this would be 10 personnel stuff right here. I mean, you're going to be short. You're going to have to man it somewhere or bring somebody, motion somebody in, into the box to be that extra blocker. Now, I will say, the year we ran it the best at Wyoming, we did a majority of it out of, out of 11 personnel. And what we ended up doing, and this was really nice. I really enjoyed this. We took the Y. He was off the ball. We could move him around. We could find our A-gap defender. And we could still do it out 11, run it at the A-gap guy. So we could, you know, we could find, find this guy, maybe move him around. And we kept him in the backfield. And we would come down. He would still block this stuff. And we would do everything like we normally would on any 21 personnel power just with that guy. Now, if you put him on line of scrimmage, that's fine, too. That works. We just found that 
people kind of knew what we were doing. So the tight ends block was always like, oh, crap, you know, he's, he's losing it to the inside. We're always double bumping, something like that. Here we just gave the tight end a little bit more leverage. When you go 10 personnel, if I remove the line out, if I still keep it with four down and say one linebacker in a box, again, you got a, a man scheme going on there. and It's not going to be a gap scheme anymore. But obviously doable. You can call the plane, hey, this is how you block it versus this, or you just call it something when it's 10 personnel. The 11 stuff was really good with, with a, a Y that was moving, you know, an H or whatever you want to call it. Uh, when he was moving and, and say, okay, we want to check this at the 2Y. Maybe you don't even want to check. You just want to line the guy up back there, have him off the ball a little bit, run it at the three technique or whatever they're going to give you over there. Um, kind of the same thing if, if I was getting Oki at this. If I was getting just true Oki, I couldn't run it out of 11 personnel. And nobody, I can't say many people have kind of done this, but if I, you know, had five techniques with this and a zero, this would not be good out of 11 anymore. I'd have to have this guy off the line, bring him back over here, and again, run it away from that, that extra stuff. So Oki kind of made the open side stuff tough for us when it was true five techniques. Nobody really, I shouldn't say nobody really does it anymore. I just don't see it as much, you know. Um, even when we were playing Air Force, when they were just strictly Oki, um, they were still giving us four eyes and four techniques and things that were just harder for that tackle to manage because he didn't know what was going on. So, so one thing uh, about the play itself is, I always said it like this way, like when, you, when you're running a gap scheme play, is it really going to be gap scheme or are, are you just kind of saying that and those guys, are, they, I have to block the three technique, that center has to block that backside nose. Um, or that backside three technique, or is it really gapped out? We call it gapped out. Like if there was going to be movement, I was going to say true to the fundamental of this being gap scheme play. So the one thing that we were pretty decent at, anytime we were running it at the three technique, if we had any indicator on the backside, so anything in this area on the backside, and this, this was a big teaching point for, for our guys, whether it was uh, Wyoming, North Coast State, it doesn't matter. If I'm running the A-gap power, if I'm running it to the, the right side here, what's on the back side of this? What kind of indicators are here that are showing there may be defensive line movement coming for us, okay? So whether that was a linebacker stepping up somewhere over here or a safety coming down or anything that would show that this, this, this movement might happen, okay? Uh, now, I don't want them sitting there living their life off indicators, but I, I do know this. Just looking at the three technique and knowing, hey, we're going to double team them wasn't really good enough. It was like, okay, what is over there? You know, maybe the guard was looking at the nose and the nose and the center was looking past the nose here and the center might say, hey, you know, uh, there might be movement. However, he might say that to the guard and the guard kind of understood that. If we had an indicator, we had some things where this guy, he didn't even bother with this. He just went straight down to, to block the nose. If there was no indicator, this is how we taught this. And I will tell you, this is hard to teach, okay? But we had the guard. We, we would just, in a, in a normal double team session, just working our fits. We'd just say we're working uh, lateral combo fits for this. Uh, we would just have uh, the center working pin blocks at the same time. And then we would always have the backside guard always pulling, okay? So there was four guys that would always work when we, when we worked this double team. But we would just throw it in there randomly, okay? So the, the defensive line would always look at me. He would cross face. He would do that. And we would say, okay, is this guy true to what he's doing here? Is he true to his gap scheme? Now, 
before that we just threw it randomly, we'd teach them how to handle it. You know, we say, okay, this is what's happening. We're gonna inside settle with our left foot, the guard here in this case. I'm gonna stab with my right foot. As soon as I see this three technique moving out, I'm going down right now. Or if they wanted to cheat it, if I saw the nose coming my way, I was out of the three technique block. I thought their guards would handle it how they handle it best. You know, I'd give them those options. It wasn't just stare down the three technique. If you moved, stare down the nose, if he moves, understand there might be movement. But this guy had to be pretty good at saying, okay, I'm not needed here. I got to get over here right now. If the center would, would say something like, hey, I got a tight shade, that was our way of saying, hey, this guy might cross face. This guy might cross face. The center was not required to block any A-gap defender that crossed his face. All right. He was required to pass him, put hands on him, you know, kind of pass him back in a way where the guard could, could get over there and block him. But he had stuff coming into the A-gap then at that point he was responsible for. Okay. So all that being said, if you go down the line a little bit, this was a gap seal and a funnel. So anything in the B gap was tackle responsibility. Anything in the A gap was center responsibility. Play side A gap was a guard. Play side B gap was a tackle in, in true gap responsibility. I think this was hard for a younger guy. If this guy wants to loop outside for him to just leave that and go, it's not natural. So they have to learn how to do that, right? And then this part right here, when that goes up, I go flat down the line of scrimmage to block the, uh, to block the nose. That's not necessarily natural either that has to happen. The center, that, that's not natural either to pass something. So we did have to work those things. So we would start by working those things, but then we would throw them in. When, they, when we felt they were good enough at it, we would throw them in randomly where we'd say, okay, you're on point, you're not here. You got to remember this. And that came with reps in time. So we did get better and better at it. We would have the quarterback early on, uh, way back in the day, we would have the quarterback simply just check the play. You know, we know we know there's there's something coming here. The whole offensive line knew it. We checked the play, meaning we we just call it something special, and and we wouldn't even work the double team. We just go down right now. You know, we would kind of force the issue and just go down. So knowing that it was coming, but but being able to do that on the fly, I think that that's something that takes reps as well. The two I, the two I moving out, a little bit different story. We're getting this movement now. Now the three technique, the center's not allowed to let the three technique cross his face because he's a B-gap defender. We just set it that way to him. So even if this guy wanted to work over here, you got to keep him stuck over there. As soon as the two-eye were to work out, now the guard's taught, bam, I'm going straight to backer right now. I'm not looking for any down guy anymore. It's straight to backer. So we would uh, basically when we worked movement, said, okay, three technique movement, great, you got that. Two-eye movement, great, you got that. And the tackle was always taught to believe that the two-eye was going to become a three no matter what. They didn't line up in a two-eye to cross the center's face. They lined up in a two-eye to cross the guard's face. So he was always taught that a two-eye is a three technique on the play. You know, So that is, that's basically it. Okay, I'm going down. He's going out. I'm gone to backer right now. And what we would find is the nose would be kind of stalemate with, with the tackle here. And then our puller would fit that, set it on the uh, tackle, and he would go climb to his backer. It was a nice little fit for the place uh, for the point guard. And one of the questions we have from one of our uh, listeners is they wanted to look at the guard's technique on the inside half of that double team that's going to be horizontal. 
So they're looking at what are some of the teaching points for your footwork and then also hand placement on the inner half of that double team when you're getting initial horizontal displacement. Okay, so should we talk three technique? Yeah, that'd be, that'd be okay. easiest. Um, okay, I got this, I forget where I got this. Uh, might have been Scott Peters talking about this a little bit here, okay? With this three technique. I used to, a long time, it was kind of a long time ago where you teach that flipper technique. Like I'm gonna flip her into this, I'm gonna keep my inside arm free and I'm gonna kind of dig this out. They kept getting their shoulder grabbed and pulled down and it was kind of, it just looked like crap. It was really bad, you know? And what Peters had talked about is this clog technique, which I thought was really interesting. And where I was gonna, I'm gonna talk about this right guard here right now, okay? He's settling with his inside foot. Now that means his left foot is basically going to pick up and put down. It's just going to jab. It's not going to really get any width here. It's not going to go another way. It's just going to settle right there. The stab is probably going to bring my hip over a little bit, but I'm going to try to have my hips in front of that that defender's hips. We kind of mentioned that before. Okay. With the upper body, we would take. Maybe I can stand back here and up here. Instead of flippering, we got into this deal where I want to get my elbow on my rib cage. I want to clog my rib cage right now and I want to use this like with my hip. Okay. So if my hips are coming, I can dig this out and work this. I really wanted to, to get this somewhere on the guy's body and just grab, you know, take that thumb out a little bit and just clog my elbow and really work it that way. Maybe keep this inside arm free, but that clog technique, you know, we went to that for probably five years and got a, the first five years was a flipper and I didn't like that, but now with the clog, I have a hand on something, and I'm down in here, and I can still kind of use my shoulder and my hips and all this other stuff, so that's, that's where we like with that three technique. If it was a two-eye, we would say, you know, two hands, you know, thumbs to throat, something that's going to put my hands right on the inside, and I'm going to work that guy just like I'm, I'm man-blocking him, knowing that the tackle's coming down to, to reinforce that block, but the three technique clog idea, I really like quite a bit. I still use the clog. Uh, in a lot of zone combinations and, and uh, certainly if any, any double team work that I'm doing, we want to clog the chest here. And the clog came from the fact that I was not going to give up my chest. I was going to have my elbow inside here and that defender would have a hard time getting to my chest that way. Make sense? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And then follow-up question to that, um, they're talking about the running back's entry point and for the A-gap. Like what's the – obviously it's A-gap to A-gap, but what's the running back's key that's going to tell him that front side A-gap's full so I should go over to the back side A-gap? What's, what's that read progression look like for the running back? So I, I believe this. I believe all the running backs that we had do this, that were really good at it, they all kind of have their own feel for it. Um, and I know that's not a great answer, but – Couple things that they were taught here. First off, the quarterback could not push them off the midline. They, they had to give them enough space to keep this nice and tight. So they're going to play side A to backside A on this, okay? Uh, one term we use, in, kids have never seen Days of Thunder now, but we talk about Days of Thunder running through the smoke, you know? And the idea that this is all going to clear up, I just got to have a little bit of patience. And if it is clear, I'm hitting it pretty hard. We wanted that guy to insert play side A or backside A based on what was there. Now, I will tell you this. There is no way that that running back can be right if he gets out in front of the pulling guard. That's true to every power, every power, okay? But when we would insert, like let's say I got this guy up in here 
and I got a I got a linebacker coming over the top. I'm going to keep him outside. He would just look for the guard to turn this out, and as soon as that would happen, he was going to strike it back all the time. So all the big plays came from striking it back. If it was a backside a gap entry, a playside a gap entry, I mean that's you know determine that off the film. I just know the guy was really tight, and we did not want to take him loose out to the B gap. And some guys will say that the running back has a really good feel for the linebacker flow. Some guys will say that they're just going to make sure that they're not outside the pulling guard. And some guys will say, you know, just the idea of running through the smoke, I'm going to get up in there, I'm going to find a little seam, and I'm going to snake my way through it and get it done. Um, but it wasn't – it was really important that they stayed on that track. That was number one. Stay on the track, trust the blocking, and then – obviously know that we're not going to get spilled. We're, we're teaching, so we're not going to get spilled. So when you get out there, if you, if, you, if you break it out this way at all, you're definitely on your own, you know. And sometimes those end up being great plays too. You know? Then you look at your tight end here. Sorry to jump in here again in front of you, John. But, um, you know, when I listen to the North Dakota State coaches talk about a little bit this offseason, um, they talk about that tight end being a D-gap player first if there's anything initially off the edge and then climb into, you know, your secondary defenders at, you know, your safeties and whatnot. Is that kind of what you have always taught as well? Are they doing it with a fullback? Uh, no, this would be in, like out of 11 personnel or 11 21 personnel. In the tight end. That guy was, <laughs> I don't know that we said D gap player first. I, I think that's definitely important that he knows he's, <laughs> he can't have D gap, uh, uh, C gap penetration, you know, any idea there, but, um, whatever was there, he was man on. So you, we could literally uh, be lined up with this guy, like in a five technique, and it's like we're gone. You got to figure something out here on your own if you're in line like that. If if they were backed off here, they they'd still had to be head inside and, and take that. So if he said D gap player, do you say D gap player first or D gap first? He was talking D-gap first, not D-gap player. And so he's just talking – a lot of times when he was explaining it, he was in 21 personnel. So he has his fullback still kicking out the first threat outside of the B-gap. And then he was talking about you have an attached tight end on the line of scrimmage. Um, if there's like a defensive end, like a, a wide seven technique, if you will, or anything like that. He talked that about go, that. That would go back to this stuff when it's 21 personnel. Wherever you got your fullback lined up doesn't matter. Um, however this – Let's say you get something and you get some other element here. He's like blocking the D. If this guy's just hanging out here, he, he took off to safety, okay? Because the idea was at the end of the day, this is where the play is hitting, okay? So all these guys that were kind of hanging out over here, you know, I won't really say it on, on the podcast, but those guys, are they're, they're, they're nothing. You know, they're, they, they can go, they can put like 11 guys over here. We're running the play over here, so – if this guy wasn't going to do anything to be a part of the play or, or really kind of squash this down, he was going to take off. So he would be a D-gap guy first and then get out of there that way. Once you go 11 personnel, uh, that tight end, he's, he's got to man that guy up. You know, that, that he's got to get that done. Um, we weren't going to, you know, exchange blocking responsibilities with the, with the pulling guard and the tight end. It was just you got to get it done however you can. Now, regardless of what – in 11 personnel, and I've seen this happen, so if, if the guard's doing a good job, where this guy was just trying to get in here, as long as the tight end was attached to that guy, 
we could set the guard can bump that and set that back onto the tight end. He can, and that can become a little double team there. If the tight end's not attached to it, he's like, Oh, I got to get out of here. There's the guard has no shot at that point, you know, and you go back to 11 personnel, you start teaching all this stuff versus movement kind of brings up this point. And I don't know how deep you guys want to get into this, but you would still get this stuff happening where he's manned up here and they're, they're still true to what's, you know, what's going on with the play. Where now it's 11 personnel. I got to know if this guy shows up here, I just got to take him on my own now, you know, and block that. And we would teach this guy, you know, he's just getting to a first backer. But if it's 11 personnel, now you don't have a fullback to handle that looping three. And now your point guard has to do it. That's another thing you're going to find out if you're running between 11 and 21. You know, if there's, if you're going to get movement like this and your fullback's expected to kick this out, that's great. But if you get into 11, he ain't there anymore. So now your pulling guard has to do that. The last kind of question that we have um, and just looks at just protecting the A-gap power play. You know, obviously your boot scheme potentially or your play action scheme is going to be beneficial to helping out, you know, your overall A-gap run scheme. But is there any particular schemes, whether it be run game or pass game, that you thought really complemented the A-gap power game other – other than obviously the C gap power, um, well, you kind of said it there. I mean, all the stuff started with the A gap power stuff, and then we we would graduate to any type of C gap. The open side, open side C gap stuff was really good, where we were pulling the guard all the way around. Um, you know, we were. You might get into this look here, where and I always thought this was. Kind of impressive. Now we're using fullbacks for this, okay? Okay. But let's say I'm not using a tight end here, and so I'm running to the open side on the, on this whole deal. If they were so hard to spill that that fullback just didn't have a shot, you know, and teams will do that, you know, it just doesn't have a shot to do it. We take the fullback, bypass him, he'd block the linebacker, and we bring that guard around and block the safety. I mean, we're playing Nevada. I mean, that might have been three touchdowns right there that were about 60 yards apiece just because how hard they wanted to spill that. So any compliment off of, you know, a really hard spill player um, where you would take your puller to the outside. You know, this is an example where we're obviously gaining a guy on the safety here. We would also run it to the open side where we weren't necessarily trying to gain, but we knew that, you know, this, this end was going to spill really hard. So let's just bring you around here, keep you tight on this backer. You know, maybe the back row flows it, but now it's still it's a C gap power play where if they're fitting the safety in the alley and this guy overruns it, you had a pretty good shot of hitting that thing in the C gap too. So all the stuff that protected the A gap power really was the C gap power stuff. You know, uh, we ran a lot of power pass, which which I liked. I didn't really like it out of the pistol all that well. I thought it changed some things up on us, but um, you know, power pass. Was the, was the play action off? But we had some some naked, some power naked too. I guess that I thought was pretty interesting as well. Um, I don't know that that really protected the play so much as the C gap power stuff. But anything you run C gap beyond that, because if they get really good at defending A gap power, you want to take advantage of that as well. So we can go back and forth. That's a great question though, because the whole there was a whole laundry list of these are the things that we're going to do to the tight end side and to the open side. You know, depending on what they're giving us.